press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Friday, August 12. John Howard says Donald Trump's behaviour after losing power was appalling and atrocious, declaring him utterly unfit to return to the White House. The Australian's revealing today Howard's assessment in a new book in which he says he prays the Republicans will find another candidate for 2024 because Trump has behaved terribly. The federal government's surge workforce is failing to fill the gap in aged care, filling just 5% of vacant shifts in nursing homes. Each week, about 48,000 aged care shifts are going unfilled as COVID and the flu hit homes hard. Anthony Albanese is promising to deliver nurses 24-7 in all aged care homes within a year. But operators say the government has seriously underestimated the numbers of staff required. We're sorry. That's the government's message to serving and former defence personnel after a report found a culture of bullying, silence and cover-up were contributing to unacceptably high suicide risks. Advocates say urgent reform is needed to speed up the processing of compensation claims. A Scottish family is appealing to stay in Australia, using the precedent of Biloela's adopted Sri Lankan asylum seekers, who've been granted permanent residency. Stay with us. Up first, The Front's Kristen Amiot finds out the way forward for families who want to stay. Plus, later in the episode, how one of our leading journalists tackled an incredibly challenging story. The young cleaner convicted of a senseless murder. A week after Biloela's Nardazalingam family were granted permanent residency, an Adelaide electrician has invoked the precedent set by Immigration Minister Andrew Giles to defy a deportation order. Mark Green and his family relocated to Australia from Scotland 10 years ago when the local solar industry was desperate for skilled electricians. David Penbethy is the Australian South Australia correspondent and joins me now. Penbo, a defining part of the Nardesalingham story was the groundswell of community support they received in the months and years before they were granted permanent residency. What's been the experience of the Green family in that respect? Well, I I think you're actually seeing in a way an even bigger outpouring of public support for this family, particularly here in South Australia. And I think that part of it goes to the fact that in the 10 years that they've been here, they've become so totally sort of intertwined in the South Australian community. And it just seems like in a country that rightly or wrongly talks about giving people a fair go, it seems weird that you can invite a bloke out on account of a clear shortage in the labour market and then kick him out of the country 10 years later at a time when, if anything, the skill shortage is actually worse. Now, I work at 5AA, which for the benefit of listeners in the eastern states is comparable to 3AW in Victoria or, or 2GB in Sydney. And we've got a quite proudly and unashamedly suburban, outer suburban audience The government, I think, with this Green family has actually got more of a PR challenge on its hands because we got hundreds of messages this morning on air, a staggering response. Not one of them was saying, who cares? 
there's other people who are more in need. Everyone was saying, hang on a minute, these are the exact people we should be getting in Australia, particularly given that we invited them here in the first place. Uh, the Minister has gave us one more month just so he can make a decision on this situation that we're in. And uh, hopefully we're pleading with him to make the right decision. Uh, it's been so stressful for us. We can't thank everybody enough. It's been fantastic. We're not there yet, but it's a small step. Also, the internal political aspect of it is challenging for the Immigration Minister, Andrew Giles, too, because you have got the precedent set by the Lingam family from Sri Lanka. In addition, the reason this is now on the Minister's radar is that it was our Premier here, Peter Malinowskis, fellow Labor politician, who rang Mr Giles and got this under his nose. In addition, you've got other people within the Federal Labor Caucus, uh, the member for Adelaide, Steve Georgianis, publicly championing the Greens family. You've got a lot of business backing. I mentioned Villies, the solar panel company that Mark now works for, they're backing him too. So you've got a public argument, a political argument and a business argument and the added challenge being that they're just a really lovely family. And this is, as you said, a story that really is about precedent and we don't yet know how the Greens' appeal to Andrew Giles will land, but should we expect to see more of these kinds of appeals in future? Well, I think word gets around and there'll be other people in comparable situations who will say, well, I might have a crack too. But my understanding of this issue is that there's nothing particularly new about the exercise of ministerial decree in cases like this. These people were here as 457 visa holders who were demonstrably working hard as opposed to being someone who turned up with a bit of a sketchy backstory and was allowed to stay purely on compassionate grounds. So I think that the pressure on the minister is, is vast over this case. And I guess the political downside for him, though, is whether in light of what happened with the Nardessa Lingams, the opposition can run a, well, now you've opened the floodgates type argument, which personally, I think that'd be sad if it stopped the Greens from staying. All of the politics aside, what has this experience been like for Mark and his wife Kelly and daughter Rebecca? When they came into the studio, it felt like their heads were spinning. They were on a current affair. They spoke to the local paper as well. I spoke to them last night. And, you know, there's something infectious about them. Like, they're just salt-of-the-earth people. They were quite self-deprecating about it, but, but masking a sense of genuine distress. We started again from scratch and we've built ourselves up. We're trying trying to get a mortgage, you know, trying to start life again, but all these problems that we've been having with employers and visas and it's just stopped us. It's like we're getting nowhere, you know. We just want to start life. They were actually meant to be on a flight at 10.40pm Wednesday and it was only literally three hours before that they got confirmation from the minister that he'd now been made aware of the case and was prepared to look at it. So it's been seat-of-the-pants stuff for them. And they're not media people. Mark's sparky. He's a knockabout blue-collar guy. So they're not people of sort or indeed ever expected to be in the middle of this news maelstrom that they find themselves in. And I think they're just hoping that they can just get back to their normal suburban lives as soon as possible. David Penberthy is The Australian's essay correspondent. He was speaking to the front's Kristen Amiot. 
Coming up after the break, one journo's search for meaning after a brutal murder. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. In 2019, Sydney siders were shocked by the murder of an Ashbury grandmother by her longtime cleaner. Marjorie Welsh was 92 when Hanny Papanikolaou savagely beat her and stabbed her at her home in Sydney's Inner West. A cleaner accused of beating and stabbing her elderly client to death inside an Inner West home says she doesn't remember the attack. The 38-year-old claims she blacked out and when she came to, she had a knife in her hand which was covered with blood. Fiona Harari's reporting on this story has earned her a nomination in the upcoming Kennedy Awards and she joins me now. Fiona, how did you get on to this story? From the very first reports that came out, it looked like quite an unusual case because what we knew was that there was an elderly woman who was 92, had been killed in her home by her cleaner who presumably she trusted and it was that sort of element of trust that I think got us interested in the first place and that I suppose was the underlying theme throughout this quite long court case as it turned out. It was such a harrowing case. You started the story by describing how Marjorie's day started which was by feeding the birds in her garden and then going back into her home which was filled with decades of her handiwork and then attacked with her own canes. So was she hand-making these canes? Turns out that she was a type of person who was able to pick up so many different types of crafts. So I've seen pictures of this really intricate silverwork that she did and she wove baskets. And, I mean, I've never really heard of anyone making their own canes before, but it seems that this was the type of incredibly talented, unknown, essentially, woman that she was. She had this really lovely home that she bought around the corner from one of her daughters and moved in there in about mid-2018, by which time she was 91 or 92. So who was Hanny Papanikolaou and how did their lives intersect? So Hanny Papanikolaou is a, a woman originally from Indonesia. She's in her late 30s. Uh, she'd met an Australian man in Jakarta a number of years ago, moved to Australia, they married, had a family And she had started a business in Sydney as a cleaner. One of her daughters, Liz, had used Hanny Papanikolaou as her own cleaner. When her mother Marjorie moved around the corner from Liz, Marjorie, after many years of deciding she wouldn't trust anyone enough to come into her own home, decides to engage her daughter's cleaner, Hanny Papanikolaou. And I think this is what confounded me throughout the very long court case. Evidently really, really, really liked Marjorie and Marjorie seemed to like her as well. So she was brutally beaten and then she subsequently died. Hanny Papanikolaou pleaded guilty to manslaughter but not guilty to murder. What confounded me, literally until the judge handed down his findings, um, was why on earth did this happen? To the extent that obviously every murder is senseless, 
But it just didn't make sense as to why she had beaten and so savagely attacked Marjorie. It seems like if she had a, a, one of her motives may well have been money because she had a gambling issue. She'd come from playing the pokies that morning. So the judge's view was that she was looking for money to fund her gambling habit. And I suspect that possibly something happened in Handy Papa Nicolau's mind when she lost that money that morning that for whatever reason made her drive over to Marjorie Welsh's home where she didn't have a key but she knew that Marjorie Welsh's family was away and she was vulnerable. But there is no evidence as far as anyone can see to say that Hanny Papanikola had left with anything other than the knife, that she did not seem to have found any cash in the home, which makes this entire crime even more senseless because... You know, she runs away and, and Marjorie survives, but only for six weeks. She's able to give a lot of evidence to police and to identify Hanny Papa Nicolau. The strength that she must have shown, or that she did show, to be interviewed at length by police was quite extraordinary. Um, but ultimately she succumbed to her injuries after six weeks. Honey Papa Nicolau stared at her feet and wept as her sentence was read to the court. With time already served, the killer cleaner will be eligible for parole come 2034. One of the most touching lines in your story, I thought, was you said Papa Nicolau was given a 22-year sentence. Now divorced, she shares a cell in protective custody and sometimes assembles airline headsets. There's so much in that sentence, Fiona. It's such drudgery, such mundane kind of work. She's in protective custody, which is a really hard way to do prison time. She's divorced and she's got 22 years in prison. I think there's an urge in journalists to find some kind of meaning in the stories that we're doing or draw something out of it. How did you approach this and, and what meaning did you take out of it? You can take out the fact that Marjorie was loved by her family But it was sort of, it's such an unrelenting story. As a journalist, I'd like to leave readers on a lighter note. Not that anything good is going to come out of a murder, but it just seems so senseless and everyone has lost out of this. Marjorie Welsh's family are quite traumatised still. But, of course, they have wonderful memories of her and, of course, they can try to think of her long life rather than the short, terrible, tragic ending that she had. But nothing really takes away sometimes from the fact that some people have terrible demises And ultimately she was murdered for what seems to be a very obscure reason. And her family and Hanny Papanikolaou's family, and indeed Hanny Papanikolaou, will have to live with that for the rest of their own lives. If this story has raised issues for you, you can go to gamblinghelponline.org.au or call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Fiona Harari is an award-winning journalist, an author and a writer with The Weekend Australian magazine. The Front is produced by Kristen Amiot and Harim Khan. It's edited by Tiffany Dimack and Joshua Burton. Our music is by Jasper Leake. Hit follow or subscribe to ensure The Front is in your podcast player every morning. And check out all our journalism anytime at theaustralian.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. 
In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.